All right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Um, today, I have a pretty special treat. I have um, my coach of 18 months now. I hired Eric back in March of 2021, um, and he's been my guy for you know, the past 18 months, and we've been able to add um, 160 pounds to my competition total, which is a pretty big deal um, with basically staying around like the 180 to 190 range. Um, Eric currently works with, with the strength athlete. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Bryce Lewis, Bryce Lewis is the founder of that. He also works with Hani Jirazi. And uh, they have a, a team of just really fantastic people they're working with. And um, I, I, I was assigned to Eric. And um, to be honest, he's been the perfect coach for me because I am really high in neuroticism. And really, you know, as, you know, as Eric knows, um, and he's very chilled and laid back. Um, and uh, he really helps balance me out and help me give me some proper perspective on things. So um, just wanted to thank Eric so much for coming on, allow him to introduce himself in case I missed anything. Well, thanks for having me on. And um, hopefully I can live up to the, the high praise there. <laughs> and I, I think it'd be nice for us to have more of a long form discussion since a lot of our, our you know weekly calls end up being something along those lines anyways with going over ideas in regards to programming and things like that. So, you know, maybe a conversation here will be able to help some other people as well. Yeah. So, um, Eric, uh, you've been in powerlifting for quite a while, right? With, uh, with coaching. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did my, my first competitions were back in uh, 2011. Um, I competed in both bodybuilding and powerlifting during that year and realized that, uh, powerlifting was just a lot more fun and more of a, a training avenue that I wanted to pursue. So, um, you know, continue to dive in and learn about all all I could about programming and finding different ways to, you know, get from point A to point B and problem solving and things like that. And um, just really fell in love with that process. And that got me into coaching. And, um, you know, Bryce was starting up this strength athlete towards the end of 2013, early 2014. And that's around the the time that uh, we were communicating about training ideas and uh, it seemed like um, he had a, a need as far as um, the demand with his, his YouTube channel and, um, and coaching and things like that. And uh, things were just starting to take off. So it was just a kind of being in the right place at the right time with both of us coming from a, a bodybuilding background and transitioning over to more of the powerlifting side of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's really helpful to kind of just know um I, I think that like overall um like anybody who is familiar with, with with tsa um like you guys work with you know some of the, the best in, in in the world and um bryce is obviously one of the best lifters in the world too um and uh i guess with, with your experience coaching then so you did you so then i don't you have like your cfcs mm -hmm. um what's your educational background is it in like exercise science yeah um i studied exercise science in both undergrad and grad school um i, I guess i have conflicting views on whether that's actually a beneficial route to take um, especially if it's somebody who's looking to get into coaching or creating a business for themselves i, I think as long as you have some kind of fundamental understanding of of the exercise science background of things i don't know that you need to get too in depth with it because a lot of the stuff that we learned in formal education doesn't really apply to what we're doing with with athletes on a week-to-week -week basis with 
um, program design and you know some of the you know, psychological things with dealing with athletes and things like that. They don't they don't really teach a lot of that in school, and it's, it tends to be more soft skills and um, kind of learning from um, past experiences. Yeah, that's something that uh, you know, like I also have my my, my bachelor's in exercise in exercise science and. Um, I think it does a really great job, obviously, you know, if you want to go the, the pre-med route, you want to be a physical therapist, a doctor, a, um, you know, get your master's in athletic training, it's a great stepping stone career or, or degree, or you can learn just a lot about, like, what I think I got the most out of it was, like, understanding how science works and how I think critically, which I think is really important as a powerlifting coach, because a lot of the times, like, especially because you know, when we've been working together, it's been a lot of collaboration, which I'm sure is, um, you know, every athlete is different. Some athletes just want to maybe be told, like, do this, and they don't really have as much of a background in knowing what's actually beneficial or, like, sort of, like, how to program. Um, whereas, with, you know, I do this full-time full as well, and I have my own ideas about training. Um, it's like every coach-athlete relationship is way different i think that's like really like there's like the science that then and then the art of coaching right like um in, in your experience like have you found that most coach athlete relationships do tend to become more collaborative or is that like the most productive way to do things or have you found that like for like for example for people that don't know like eric coaches like chance he or he has coached chance mitchell i believe chance programs on his own is that is that correct right right now yeah, I worked with Chance for probably six or seven years, but in the in the last year or so, he's, he's branched off into we kind kind of transitioned to just him doing his own thing, and and I would check off on the training blocks that he wrote and things like that. But you know, he's so in tune with his own training process that he doesn't really need much outside help, and I think he does well with being able to you know pick and choose what variables he wants to adjust at a given time, and and um, kind of make his own adjustments that way. And, you know, like I said, he's he's somebody who's so in tune with his how he responds to training that um, I think he's able to do the best work for himself that way. But I, you know, I have people that train at a very high level that um, are kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, where they just want to be told what to do and uh, you know just kind of follow the the sheets and the numbers that way. So it, like, I think it's, it's like, more like, more just personality based. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to some interviews with like Chrissy Procky. And mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, Eric just said, like, I don't like making choices. I tell Eric to do it, write it on the sheet, and I'll, and I'll do it. Um, exactly. And, and she's someone that came to mind as, as someone who's kind of on the opposite side of it, where, you know, she just likes to go in there and get it done and not really think as much about what, what she's being programmed to do. You know, and, and we still collaborate sometimes in terms of, like, whether what we're doing is working or what movements we might need to switch out or things like that. But, you know, generally I, I would say she's a little more on the other side of things with uh, just wanting to, to know what to do and get it done. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of, um, you know, coach athlete relationships, I think this is something that's really important. Um, in order for you to, to create the best powerlifting training for an athlete, um, what do you sort of look for with your clients in terms of communication and, and whatnot? Because obviously, you know, this is a lot of, like, like, you know, like, like you said earlier, there's not like really like a book on this is how you powerlifting train. Like this is how you program for somebody. It's a lot of it comes down to understanding fundamental principles and then applying them to the edge of the athlete and their own needs. So 
Um, what do you look for in sort of like an athlete? Like what does a really productive coach athlete relationship look like to you so that you can get them to their, you know, their genetic potential, wherever it may be? Well, I mean, at, at a minimum, I would say regularly updating their training logs and training videos and things like that so that we can be on the same page with how things are progressing and how things are, are looking and moving. But I think in terms of communication, it's ideally we want to get somebody to a point where they have a better feel and understanding for the difference between being overtrained and undertrained and what that what that feels like in the moment. So like knowing whether a bad session comes from doing too much or too little and and like that's that can sometimes be hard for somebody to differentiate like um somebody who's undertrained they might feel fresh going into a session but the lifts just don't feel good at all and they're not sure why but you know they know their technique kind of feels foreign and the lifts just aren't feeling good and on the other side you know somebody who's maybe overtrained they're moving sluggish but their technique feels awesome but they're just not able to kind of move the weights or express their strength in the way that they normally would. Um, and getting to the point where the athletes, the, both the coach and the athlete kind of understand the differences there and what to expect and, and being able to take away some of the fatigue trends from that. I think that's one of the biggest, uh, biggest things we look for in a, in a collaborative effort there. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, I, I tell us to my, to my athletes and to, um, people that ask me about programming and whatnot, like, you know, I'm sure that you could also echo the same sentiment. You know, you could probably pull up, you know, any one of your athletes' programs and they're all have, like, they're, they're going to look all pretty, like, they're going to look different in meaningful ways. Because everybody's sure. different, you know, the different life stresses, Um, you know, like I have some people that have a very, like, you know, where, like, how the heck do you respond to this? Like, <laughs> this is like totally, like, not what traditional periodization quote unquote dictates but this is just the athlete responds to this so okay i guess we're going to keep doing this um and uh, i guess that's a really good jetting off point for myself um and sort of like our really our relationship so just to like when i when i hired you and this was coming off of so prior to hiring you i had my first powerlifting meet literally the weekend right before covid started um it was like the perfect timing. <laughs> I'm so grateful it was not that next Saturday because it probably would not have happened. But I ended up with a pretty decent total. I got like a junior elite total by the USPA classifications. Um, got like a 424 squat, uh, a 319 bench, and then a 650 dead deadlift. I uh, weighed in like 178. Um, you just squatted 100 pounds more than that, right? I squatted five twenty three at like RPE nine. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's pretty cool. I didn't I didn't even realize that. Yeah, no squats have been progressing like the like the most ridiculous since we since we started working together. But um, over the pandemic, I kind of lost a lot of that motivation, a lot of that drive. I kind of was was focused on college and started my own coaching business. And then, you know, I was like, oh, powerlifting is the thing again. I still care about about this stuff now. I got a lat strain, which has, which is also an issue of this prep, um, by basically trying to go, it was like one of those cases where it's like the last rep of the last set. And I just felt it, but it just, just pop. So I basically like, I lost a lot of strength on my deadlift and I got really sad and whatever, but then I was like, okay, there's a meet in March. 
and I want to, I want you to compete again. Um, I worked with my old coach Jagger, who was like he actually interned under Chad White, Leslie Smith, and we did a little prep, and I basically worked up to about my baseline strength. Um, except I got basically 20 more pounds on my total, or 22, 22 more, more pounds, and got 435, um, 319, and then uh, 300 kilos or 661 on deadlift. Um, again, like literally like the exact same, same body weight. But Jagger was going into the Air Force. And I was like, I just really liked TSA. I liked what Bryce was, was putting out. Um, I was looking at a lot of the athletes that you guys had. I also had ran the TSA intermediate approach and I really, really liked it. And I also knew that like you had also, um, I think it was you and Hani created, created that um, mm -hmm. yeah. which is a fantastic program for anybody who like wants to get into this. I'd recommend that to, to anybody. Um, the volume on deadlift absolutely killed me, but it worked. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to sign up for coaching with TSA. And I was assigned to Eric. And um, since that time, I progressed from to from like a 435, like all out grinder on squat um, to a 523 squat. Like with like, I generally believe I could have squatted at 540. Like on, like on that day, it was the best squat peak I ever, I ever had. Um, bench press was 347. Um, which bench has been a struggle for us, but it seems to be making momentum as I also bench pressed 364 in the bench, in, in, in the gym on Tuesday. Yeah, I um, think that was a little, little sandbag in the meat just from the circumstances there. And it's also... Which, which we'll go into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. But, uh, and then deadlift, um, I have pulled 700. Um, this meet was a little bit of a surprise to both of us. Um, I put, I only pulled 310, uh, and it probably had 315 on the day. Um, but like, you know, that's, that's powerlifting, right? Like you, you sometimes, you know, things, things happen and, and you learn. Um, but I guess Eric, like what sort of went into your mind and thought process when you're like, just riding like that initial training block and like how have things progressed and like what has made the sort of the the changes in like programming over the you know 18 months that we have been working together i know that's very broad but uh i'll allow you to sort of steer the, the ship a little bit well i think in general we've found that you have a pretty high tolerance for training volume just from um you know maybe a little bit more of a background in bodybuilding training so you, you tend to soak up training volume in, in general really well and one of the main difficulties is just finding a balance with that and especially with deadlift being that your leverages and technique dictate that deadlift is going to be more challenging on the back um, it's just the probably the most difficult part in in setting up your training is finding a way to balance the right amount of work to keep your deadlift progressing with without having it bleed into your squat training and everything else Yeah, I, I would agree with, with that. Um, I will say, I mean, just to like go over like squat progress, like it has been like the most fantastic progress. Like just ever since you gave me that initial training block, it was just like, and if you were to tell me, right, when we started, oh yeah, squats are going to be your most consistent lift. I would have been like, uh, how I'm a deadlifter. Like look up, like look at how small my legs are. <laughs> look at my arms. Like this is not going to be the thing. 
but like for some reason, like whatever we've been doing has just really been 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 working. Um, in that initial training block, you gave me safety bar squats, and we were basically would be doing some sort of linear progression down from like eights to six to sixes. But the other day being some sort of you know comp squat variation of like you know usually it's either going to be actual comp squat or paused comp squat. Um, and I think that in that initial training block. When you gave me those safety bar squats, man, like it gave me confidence on squat. Yeah. And I think that ever since that point, I really overcame this mental barrier with, 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 with squatting heavier weights. Mm-hmm. And like when I got under the bar, I was like, oh, like I can do this. And also just, I think for my, like my own muscular strengths, it also allowed me sort of to lean into those a little, little bit more. Um, but over time, as we've like progressed, um, it's sort of just been like, I've been like, okay, I, I like more comp squatting. I benefit from it a lot more. I'm at the point where if I do safety bar squats, like it's not like they're not, they're not beneficial, but it definitely, I don't feel as well practiced on comp squat. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially like the overall approach has remained mostly like the same. It's been, you know, some sort of, um, you know, eights to sevens to sixes, you know, maybe you, maybe you decide that you hate me and want to give me nine, nines or tens. Um, and then on the main primary day, it's just like, you know, top set of one to five and then down sets within, you know, three to six. And that's just worked really well. And the whole broad training dose has stayed basically the same. And just from a sets perspective, but because I've gotten stronger, the volume is going up. I think that's something a lot of people like forget about. It's like, I don't think that that, like, you know, people are like, oh, like your volume needs to go up. I'm like, well, you also get get, get stronger for every single set volume that you're doing. So that kind of dictates that you're probably going to be, I don't know, like probably don't need too much force, too many more sets. Mm -hmm. I remember you were not too big of a fan of the safety bar squats early on, but I think it, it did help develop some confidence in, in you being able to trust your legs under heavier loads and not just get to the point where with anything heavy, you would just kind of fold over and hope your back would save you since your, your back is a, a very clear, strong point for you. Um, and now I think you've gotten to the point where you don't get as much out of some of those accessory squatting variations because your, your squat is now more efficient. It probably needs a little bit more practice and we can still um, you know, get some extra leg volume from from leg press and belt squat and things like that. Um, if we need more complementary leg work, mm-hmm. I also think that one of the other the benefits of safety bar squat was allowed me to learn how to orient my pelvis over my or over my right my mm-hmm. ribs over my pelvis because that right. was one of my big issues. Was I would usually like I was like oh I start make, making some progress on squat, but I would bias a lot into the anterior pelvic tilt and didn't really know what it felt like to stack my, my ribs over my, my, my pelvis. And that would always mm-hmm. you know, result in me, you know, kind of getting hurt or having to pull back volume for a little bit and never really developed that momentum. But that variation just really allowed me to do that, which is, I mean, that's a, you know, a, a talking point in, in, in and of itself. Um, when you program in variations, um, would you say they're mostly for a self-limiting purpose or mostly for a technical reinforcement purpose? Well, I, I think I, I think of it more as attacking weaknesses, and in some ways that might be inherently self-limiting because we're we're maybe doing a more challenging variation of a lift or doing a movement that challenges a weak point. So inherently, that's going to 
be a lighter load than it would be for the primary movement. But it's not that we're purposely trying to do much lighter loads. It's just that, you know, with a, say, a safety bar versus a, a low bar back squat or something like that, like most people are going to be handling less weight on that just because it forces you to, um, you know, stay in your quads a little bit more and you get punished right away if, if you try to good morning your way out of any of those. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I definitely did, did it attack mine, kind of just did the, the, the trick and like, man, like the, this squat peak was like the best I, I had ever peaked on squat. Just, I felt great. Um, like it just felt so light on my back. Like when, when I put on 501 for my second attempt, I, I knew that it was going to be sandbagged. <laughs> but I just, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is still a, a 28 pound meat PR. I want to get this. And I was like, holy crap, that was not that hard, <laughs> which was pr pretty cool. Um, so I think in general, like squat training going forward, I don't think we necessarily need to change too much. I think the main thing for me is just, you know, just continue to take the gain weight, you know, one to, two, one to two pounds a month and fill out the, you know, the 90 kilo class. And then, you know, once I'm, once I'm comfortable there, um, I can go into like the like long-term weight classes, probably, you know, a hundred kilos. Yeah. And, and we've seen, you know, even with allowing yourself to gain five pounds or so of body weight, your bench is up like 15 kilos since then. Yeah, then that was the big thing that I think really changed this past training block because I don't think you really, you didn't really change anything on on bench, right? No, I mean we we were doing maybe a little bit more volume just because you had the recovery ability to do that being in a surplus, but you know outside of that it wasn't anything too fancy. Yeah, and I it was like I remember every week I'm like Eric, bench sucks. I suck at bench. Like why? Hell, <laughs> but like. They really just like I just need to get just gain more muscle, and it was like as soon as I got to 190, it was like oh holy crap! Well, bench feels great now, and <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how that works because you know I, I think that you know we all like to focus on like SPD and you know it's gonna be easy to get married to like like, like a certain weight class, but like I mean weight classes are height classes, and I'm 5'11", like people the people that weigh 82 and a half are like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, and we're in a little powerlifting. I remember how frustrated you were for a while, where it seemed like you were going for months and months without making any kind of significant bench progress. And then well, what, what would know, happen is I would just just get hurt. Like, I just, yeah, that's I, I, I just, yeah. You weren't able to to handle the the training necessary to really push it. But but even outside of that, you know, you just um, allowed yourself to gain a, a few pounds and then just hit a hot streak where it was like every week was a, a PR. And yeah, a, like like this this, this past block into into competition was just like like it was just fun. It was like I was walking into the gym like okay, like I'm going to be able to set like a pretty solid like PR like PR. Um, right. And that was a lot of fun. Now on meet day, um, so going into it, I I because like long term, like my goals are to be like you know I want to be like one of the top twenty in like. Um, you know, like USPA, like WRPF. Um, and like, you know, I, I want to practice how, how to actually cut and how to, and how to recall. And the cut itself was not bad. The day before, all I did was I just had like ice cream, like protein bars and, you know, peanut butter. I was just suffering. I was just suffering having that. Um, and I just cut off water like 14. That was a joke for the listeners that don't understand. It's sarcasm, by, by the way. Um, and then I just cut off water like 
it takes like 12 hours but like before the meet um and like i lost like seven seven pounds wasn't really that bad and previous times i've done this it's just been like i've just killed myself to even just lose like four it's like not hard at all i even slept like like six hours and that's only something i struggle with um and i handled like the like the recomp really well i woke up and i was back up to my normal weight um then i had about two and a half grams of salt with like basically i had a tri oral which is like you know like a little, little, little bit of carbs potassium sodium etc and i felt so freaking strong for squats like i looked at my friend who was who was handling me i'm like dude like give me deadlift right now because like i have 716 based on like how i feel um and you know what you know what usp meets are freaking long like it was like three hours between like each event and uh i was just when the bench came around you know i, I, I was having like clip bars and like bananas and like protein bars and like sandwiches and stuff like, stuff like that like during the meets like i was fueling my, myself i had an, enough carbs i was feeling kind of funny but by, by, by like bench kicking around and uh i didn't realize that it, that it was salt and at my last meet um at, when i pulled 700 and i was warming up for bench i was cramping like crazy and i had like literally like five grams of salt which you know might seem like over here. I had to have that before like, it stopped, um, and I think that saved my butt for, for deadlift because like it hit like right on my third bench, and then uh, going into deadlift, the deadlift, I felt extremely strong. I also felt like really like really warm and sweaty, and I realized I was just feeling like just really cold and just didn't feel explosive at all. And so mm -hmm. that's why I only hit three forty seven, and now like going forward, it's like well now I know you know. I need to have just more salt during during the, the day, especially at these, at these longer events. Um, so, and then that kind of bled over into into my deadlift. Um, my warmups were absolutely flying. I felt like I felt very peaked. Um, but I when I got to like around five net ninety five was my last warm up. I felt strange. And I felt like really cold. My veins weren't popping. I was like, dude, I had like two cliff bars. Like I should be I should be be fine. I've been drinking water, like what the heck's going on? Then I realized right as soon as like I took my, my, my opener that it was salt. And six, I mean, 639, like still moved like really, really, really fast. Um, but then 683 was just really heavy out of, out of nowhere. And I should have known that, you know, okay, like, you know, take what's there, 315, but I wanted to try 320 and just, just, just wasn't there, but I, but I went like once the salt kicked in, as I had another two and a half grams, like another like another tri oral. I felt like really, really strong and like way different. I was actually warm. I was actually sweating. So that's something that I I know going forward, I have I have to sort of fix. Um, but deadlift training, like you said, is the most tricky out of them all. Well, so I would still like to see a, a scenario where we get to test out how you land, even if it's in a mod key scenario, just how you end up on things without worrying about cutting at all, where you're not worrying about maximizing your wilks or your dots or whatever it may be, um, and just kind of have that as an additional data point. Uh, so maybe we can try to plan for that when you have a, a longer gap in between competitions or something like that. Yeah, so um, like m m my next competition I'm planning on is going to be in May. Okay, um, so we, so we have time in early spring or something like that. 
Yeah, because like um, I like I really think I had like the bare minimum like three twenty two and a half. Or sorry, uh, yeah, for like on on that day, man. Like I, so, I, I yeah. I'd, go ahead. So I I'd, I'd want to see like a, a scenario where we get to try to peek your lips without any without any kind of cutting at all. Um, so probably a gym test, maybe February or somewhere around there, and mm -hmm. combine that with you know continuing to try different peaking scenarios for your deadlifts because you know we've we've had a few meets where it worked where you know you were really beat up and we pulled back and you have that strong super compensation effect um but that tends to not be as reliable of an outcome you know it's it's nice when it happens but i'd like to see if we can find something a little bit more predictable for it mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you know, it it could have been 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 the been the cut. I did definitely did not need need to cut. I was concerned about the about the, the dots, which is arguably like, bro, just like go in and just lift. Um, but you know, my ego said otherwise. Um, but I mean, I think that overall, like this deadlift training cycle was just kind of tough to navigate because I I also was dealing with like with like my last strain. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to really pull back on, on the volume. And I, yeah. right after the last meet, man, like I was feeling absolutely on fire. I'm like, I'm going to fucking deadlift seven, like 750. Like this is, like, I feel so strong still. that out of nowhere, just like snap. And I think that, like, it was, it was to the point, man, where I could only do like one relatively hard deadlift set. And I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. So my volume was just way down. I definitely felt, felt like I backslid. A little bit and again like sort of build up again yeah and i think if we have time to kind of gradually build up your volume tolerance there again um you know we'll we'll get the deadlift performing and training where you want it to be mm -hmm. yeah because i i i definitely um i i feel like i need a little bit more deadlift volume personally mm -hmm. like just be and I, i'm not talking like really heavy work like more submaximal stuff um it's just because, like, I feel like, like, like my baseline shouldn't be like. Because I think you and I kind of had this mindset, like, well, you know, we were sort of like clinging on to, well, hopefully, we'll have exactly what happened at the last week, which is like, holy crap, like, how is seven hundred that easy? Like, I was, I was planning on like six eighty nine to or six whatever the heck it is, like six eighty eight eight point nine at, 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 at that meet. But for some reason, like, I was just really on it that that day, um, and I think that kind of like like what you said, like. You know, more of a reliable peaking strategy. Like, you know, it's nice when that happens, but if you know, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like it's typical peak is like two to four percent, right? Yeah, it can sometimes be closer to five to ten on on deadlift, especially. But yeah. typically, you're you're not going to get more than uh, three to four percent out of a lift compared to what you've done in training, and you know, even. Even that can sometimes be a lot. Like if you're hitting a, a heavy single that's, you know, say a nine and a half or something like that for competition. I mean, that I'm, no, I'm 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 not even trying to. Trying <laughs> no, to but, like, but, but like, but like, but like, but like, but that, that's also something that like impacted it, man. Like, 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 like your like your your your, your programming when I actually execute it. I mean, if it freaking works, but when I get in my own head, I'm like, oh, like force away. I was like, for context, guys, going into that last single. I should have stopped by 650. Like that was very clearly eight, like 8.5. And I was like, forced the weight. And I was going like, like, like no sleep. I felt like shit, like just 
it was just one of those days. And I should have just been like, well, you know, it do be like that sometimes. I'm going to stop here and, you know, allow myself to like recover a little bit more. Because I was talking with one of my, my friends, Zach, who's like good friends with like Sam Calhoun and whatnot. He's like, I think that like you just went too heavy and you're looking like costs you more. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that to some extent. And and I think with like we we've, we've talked about this um, amongst ourselves a few times, but you know, I, I think with how hard you're able to exert yourself and how much you can grant from your lips, like there's there's just a higher recovery cost with that that's a little bit difficult to quantify. Oh yeah, because like you know, people that saw like my squat, like if you know how much I can grind squat, you know that was like that was not hard. <laughs> Like I had a lot left. Um, I can also grind bench pretty, pretty well. And I can usually grind through through a deadlift, even even sumo, because my stance is sort of very much like it's not really sumo. It's not a conventional. It's just Adam's deadlift <laughs> is what I call it. <laughs> um, like one, one, one of the one of the ladies at, at my gym is like, I hate how your deadlift looks, but it works. And I don't know how. And I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, this is just how I'm at. <laughs> just how I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. But overall, um, like I, I feel good about how things are trending. I think that we learned a lot about me, and kind of like what you said. Um, like I can just, I have a very high volume tolerance. I like, I tend to soak it up. I, I think that deadlift does need a little bit, a little bit more work. You know, and I think that going in, into this meet, we're doing on, on average about. So we had like like, so like 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 for this last one, we had like a three by one on that main day with two sets of RDLs, and then we had a three by five on the other day. And I think that when looking back on my past training cycles, that were the most effective because I have one that I remember that we ran earlier on in this year. We were doing higher reps, like one by five, then a two by eight, and then doing paused. Um, sumo but i also have found that like if i'm pushing conventional too since my hip position is rather high for sumo it has really good good carryover and i know that we were talking about this in the past too like i randomly hit 672 in the gym con um, conventional i led a, a 9.5 it just things just felt like really strong um and you've told me like you know you look like more like a conventional deadlifter um I'm not, am I remembering that incorrectly? Yeah, just just based on your leverages, I, I would guess that you'd be a conventional puller. Yeah, so I think it's going to make sense in this time to like push both, like have some conventional and have some sumo work. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, you know, in this recreational post training week, um, I've done it for three times in five days because that's just, I like deadlift. And I pulled conventional yesterday and it just felt so much more natural. Like it just, I have, I think about less stuff. I just, I, I, I race, I, 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 I grab, grab the bar, pull wedge. And just like, it just, it just is there as a sumo. I, I'm sure this is relatively normal. I'm like, where do my feet go? Okay. <laughs> uh, where's my center of mass? Is this yeah. like actually over, over, over midfoot or not rest? Much just like walk up, walk up to walk up to bar, grab bar, man, pull heavy weight. Man, set weight down, and also it just looks cooler and just feels way cooler than a, than a, than an sumo. Um, so I, I think like I don't know, like I know that like ten to twenty percent additions to volume are what's are what's recommended. 
are you thinking like maybe like one set or maybe just two more sets or what do you think would be like the best option for me? Yeah, I think initially like less is more and you just kind of like work with the data points that you have, you know, like, like I was saying before, it's with your training, it's always going to be a fine line with pushing one lift versus the other, especially your squat and deadlift and how they kind of interfere with each other. Um, you know, giving you enough deadlift work to be able to progress that lift without having it interfere with your squat training. Because, you know, down the stretch, especially in this knee prep, you were on such a hot streak with, with squatting. And that's not something I'd want to interfere with too much, you know, especially with we, we're trying to get your squat to, to catch up a little bit more with the deadlift, you know. Um, For sure. But we can probably find a little bit more of a balance with, you know, starting to creep in more deadlift volume again and still being able to be progressive on squat at the same time. And that's that's really, I, I think that's kind of the the primary focus on on setting up your training is is just finding that sweet spot and fine-tuning that as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that maybe we, uh, I have, I've talked to you about maybe just the six days, days a week is again, more, I can tolerate more volume on that than opposed to five days, Like we have been run, been running. Um, do you think changing the training microcycle at all for deadlift, um, would make sense? Or do you think that probably keeping it sort of like, like the, the same layout with having that primary day after my higher volume squats and my tertiary or, you know, lighter bench press, um, and then having it out a secondary day after my, my primary squats is still a, like probably the best way to manage my acute fatigue. Um, I'm not sure how much it would change your overall fatigue trends. Uh, I think if, if anything, if we're spreading out over six or seven days or something like that, it would mainly just be to make your sessions not quite as long and draining, which could be a, a net positive. Um, yeah. But as far as deadlift specifically, I, I kind of like the idea of having one of those days be a little more competition specific where you're deadlifting after a relatively challenging squat session and kind of knowing what to what to expect with that. And that does yeah, I, I was just saying I, I think for deadlift specifically, I I think it's a, a good idea to still have at least one of the deadlift days be a little more comp specific so you know what it feels like to deadlift under or after a, a relatively challenging squat session and that doesn't always have to be your your primary deadlift day you know that could be a day where you're doing some kind of variation or pauses or whatever it may be but at least having some training exposure with that so you know you know what to expect like it's it's fun to keep them separate because you can usually train better on those days but um i think it's it's good to have at least one where you're a little more realistic with expectations there and yeah on that point um, I actually have noticed, Eric, um, I actually like the heaviest deadlift after the heaviest squat. Mm. I, I tend to notice I feel less like crap during, during the week. And that more positively affects my, my bench training. Because like when you have me on that day three, I feel a lot stronger on that day. And I'm not doing as heavy of a deadlift too. Right, yeah, and right I, before. I think, I think there can be some benefits to getting all your tough stuff done at once and then kind of spreading the rest of the load of moderate work throughout the week. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So like, I, I, I like that, that idea. I, I think with like bench training, um, things are like, we just keep like the same approach. Like I feel pretty good on that. Um, another thing that we also did that I think also really helped my, 
overall chronic fatigue was actually having that slight volume word reduction um, on my highest intensity week. Because like for my personality type, it, it works a lot better for me. Like, okay, I'm pushing really hard, but I just do a little bit less sets. Well, that's fine. Whereas if I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that money, I'm not with much, much work and it's easy. This for freaking is dumb. Like I'm not going, going to do that. So that really helped me feel really good. Um, and for those of you guys that are just for some insight, Eric and I do like, we don't really truly deload. It's more what you call a wave load slash intro weeks. Yeah, I can, I can give a little more context to that. So, you know, generally if, if we're training in four week blocks, one of the things that we've implemented for Adam's training is a pretty sharp volume reduction in week four, which tends to be the, the heaviest week of a, of a given training block. Um, so on that week where we're doing the, the highest RPEs of, of a given progression, we might be dropping volume anywhere from like 30 to 50% on a given lift so that there's more of an opportunity to express strength that week. And then in the following week, instead of it being like a full deload of both volume and intensity, we go back to a pretty decent amount of volume um, and just have the RPEs be a little bit lower to start out the next progression. Yeah, and Eric and Eric was the man behind that wonderful idea, and it's really just helped me just manage my my, my fatigue because I would just feel like really beat up because, I, especially as I've gotten stronger, it's just like I feel even more worse <laughs> after like my heavy sessions, and just is it just works better for me. I know that I mean, doesn't Bryce do something kind of like that with with Eric? Um, Eric. somewhat. Yeah, they, I know they've been experimenting with a lot of different stuff. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too sure with what exactly they've been doing more recently. But I, I think generally he's he's kind of been experimenting as far as knee prep goes, taking his heavy stuff a little bit further out than than he used to. Um, mm -hmm. But the the block to block progression, I'm a little bit less familiar with how they're managing that. Yeah, well, when you're not on the road of an eight of an 800 deadlift, you probably need a longer taper. Um, yeah, it's quite insane to think that like 90 kilo dudes are like deadlifting 800 pounds. Mm -hmm. you know, like that's like having 800, like, like even just 700 pounds at 90 kilos is like a lot of weight. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of crazy. Like normal these days at, at national <laughs> days, which is it's yeah, wild. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, even oh, 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 you squat 600 pounds. Oh, okay, 700 cool. for the 80s <laughs> is normal now, too. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, you kind of need to have a 700 pole to be to be. And, to be and you got Taylor and a couple other guys doing it at 74. So that yeah, yeah like Hani coaches the freaking uh, what's his face, like Eric the point. Yeah, like Eric doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, then you have Angelo, like he's like I know he's on, uh -huh. not on TSA, but like 82 and a half, like literally going to pull like 800 any day now. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I think. I think the the record is, is somewhere around 800. Um, mm -hmm. I forget what country that goes from, but um, yeah, it's, I think it was the guy crazy. at Worlds. Like, yeah, I, I just forget where he's he's from. I think his name is. I, I, I forget too. Yeah, you know, how, dude, that was the most insane deadlift. Like, he almost pulled like was it? It was 850, right? Like, that was that was nuts. Like, he just he just didn't time his lockout right. Um, but that's besides the. Point. Um, so I, I feel just... like 
I feel like every year I, I say that, you know, the, the progression for the sport is, is crazy and it seems like there's no way people can continue to get better, but they just keep setting the bar higher and What higher. do you think is contributing to that, Eric? Do you think it's just like we have a larger pool and then like, or do you think it's like programming is just better? I mean, as a coach, I would like to say it's it's from the programming side, but honestly, it's probably not. Um, you know, I, I think generally people are, are following you know better training approaches, but I, I do think it's it's just more of a a larger talent pool and more people coming into the sport that um, just have the ability to do those kind of things. Yeah, um, as a coach, too, I like I like, like to say, oh, I'm really good at my job. That's why, that's why people are strong. It's like, oh, who knows? But like. I guess, like, okay, side question, true or false, powerlifting programming, like, good powerlifting programming is is easy. Easy to write or to follow? Easy to write. Easy, like, to, to, to write out for athletes and to find out, like, and make them strong, like, consistently. Hmm. Uh, I think somewhat it can be. Like, it, it, it's, it's not something that you need to overcomplicate. It's more... Just needing to know how to how to adapt to the information that you're given. So you know you can start with something fairly basic, and then based on how the athlete's responding to that, um, you know make adjustments from there as far as exercise selection and volume changes and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't the the initial starting point of writing a training plan for somebody doesn't need to be all that complicated because you're probably not going to nail it on your first try, you know, you're going to make your educated guess as far as what you think is going to be most beneficial for this person, but there's going to be some things that work and some things that don't work. And it's more about having the ability to adjust and problem solve to the things that aren't working and continuing to find ways to uh, help that person improve. Yeah. And that's the biggest reason why, like, like you know, I've told you this, like, I'm not going anywhere, you know, from, from TSA and, and you as, as my coach, because like, Coach hopping is a really great way to not make great progress in, in the long run. Um, unless there's some glaring like thing where it's like, oh yeah, the coach just, just doesn't care or the programming just is not working and they're not willing to, willing to make, make changes. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably hampering your long-term development. Yeah, and I think it's pretty easy to identify that. If it's someone who's invested in their training, you know, they they have a pretty good idea of how they respond to things and it's just about you know finding someone that works well with their personality type and being able to communicate effectively on on uh, how things are going training wise throughout the process. Mm -hmm. So one thing about um, I wanted just to, as a, I was a last right wrapping up point. Um, I wanted to talk to you about like um, your about so just last two things um, singles year, year round. Um, your view on that sort of programming approach and then sort of w w with me is like you don't do that with, with, with me um we do basically periods of like different rep schemes and you'd like you know say it's like fives or it's threes or it's doubles or something like that for a block um i guess what i know i know that in one check-in like i just remember these 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 things you said like you find the singles year round is pretty hard to tolerate Well, it's, I, th I think it can just get tiresome in the training process of, you know, kind of having to work yourself up to a, a 
moderately challenging single, even if it's at like a seven or eight RP on a regular basis. I just don't think that's necessarily needed every week for 52 weeks. Um, it, it certainly has its place in meat preps and, um, you know, I've, I've seen and written very effective training cycles that have weekly singles, but I don't think you need to have it, you know, every week for the entire year. I think that there can be times where you benefit from taking a step back and, you know, maybe just doing a little bit more higher up focused stuff, um, pushing different rep ranges and, and things like that. Yeah. And just from a psychological perspective, like I enjoy, like, I mean, everybody likes to win the heavy singles, but like, you know, it definitely is a little bit more, especially for me with, with the title of lifter I am, um, they're a little bit more costly in terms of stimulus to fatigue mm -hmm. ratio as opposed yeah. to rep PRs. Um, and so like, you know, going forward, I just, I really like it. We do have like one top set per week. That's because even though, you know, it's like a set, it's like a set of five, well, it still is a really good light gauge, I feel like, on like is what we want to go up in terms of, you know, one rep max strength probably going up or not. Um, right. I don't know that we could obviously track average volume. Um, but I mean, in my experience, it's like a lot of, you know, like, like for one, strength gains are like on their own time course. All you can do is create like, you know, the, the, the right situation for them to happen. But it's like, I think I have sort of analogized this, this to bodybuilding. It's like, you kind of build muscle using like similar weights for quite a long time. And over time, your average loads go up. Um, and like, I think that's sort of the case with strength. It's like, you know, your average loads might go up, but you're, you're more or less going to still be training using like the same weights. And then over and, you know, that you might find that on your top end a little bit more expressed. But um, yeah, I, I just, I personally just like it. I feel like I get more training momentum because I'm like, oh, like, I've never done this for a set of four, rather than I'm doing like, like singles. It's like, uh, well, I didn't sleep too super great. And like, uh, singles are more sensitive to those like fatigue variances too. Um, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I didn't get better. Oh, so shoot. So, well, and that, that can be good and bad. I mean, you know, like you said, if it, if it is more sensitive to changes in fatigue, then, you know, maybe that's a good data point for figuring out your fatigue trends. Um, so, you know, if you do have a, a repeat top set every week, whether it's singles or something else, you know, that's probably a good indicator of, of performance because, you know, you, you can make adjustments right off of that specific set. Um, yeah. And I, I found it to be probably a little more beneficial for more of like the beginner intermediate lifter. I agree where with that. They can, they can get more out of the, the skill practice of a, of a heavy single or just a heavy set in general um for the neurological ad adaptations and you know somebody who's already super efficient in their lift that's a highly skilled lifter probably doesn't need that quite so much because you can get just as much information out of um you know a moderately heavy triple as you as you could you know a, a single at a, at a similar rp yeah especially because like you know i remember back when i was a beginner i had like a lot of my novice powerlifters come to me I actually usually keep singles in for a pretty long time until it's like they're not making that linear progress because as we know, like most of that, that, that beginner strength progress is neurological adaptation, but a lot of that long-term strength, like it, it's both, a lot of it comes down to just getting more, like more muscular mm -hmm. and then working in like with that, because that's like the only thing you really can change with your, with your genetics. Um, so like overall, man, like, you know, ending, ending like off this, you know, 18 month period with 
160 pounds to my total of 471 dots, um, you know, 705 kilo total. So I finally broke that 700 kilo barrier. Like I'm just, I'm very happy with how things are going. Um, obviously like I do, I know I felt a little bit disappointed in my bench press and my uh, deadlift performance, but you know, it's just data. And like you said, I think that um, having a more of a mock, I don't cut. So we don't like how I respond to that. Um, you know, around, around February, um, then, you know, me just continuing to gain like one to two pounds a month. Like I want to be like actually 198 by next meet. Right. Um, right. and then I don't think necessarily need to change too much. I mean, just a little bit of, you know, more, more volume on deadlift, like one to two more sets, kind of everything that we already did to, to talk about and they just keep pounding away. Um, and, uh, hopefully I'm, you know, lifting at the American pro. In a, in a you know uh, in a year or two mm -hmm. so uh, i just wanted to thank you so much again like um you know guys like coaching is so worth it like if you want to make the best progress it's just eric allows me to just train like i could program from for myself this is my full-time job too but i don't like doing that because it's just i don't like making those choices for, for my myself Eric, he, he keeps me on track. He gives me really good, good, good feedback, and like I know I couldn't have gotten here without him. So, um, yeah, Eric, Eric's the Eric's the man. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more about you, like you own a, a badass gym in, in, in Fort Collins. Um, like if you feel like potentially like want want to work with you or anything else you want to plug about about yourself, now is the time. Um, yeah, I have uh, elevated barbell here in Fort Collins. Um, I haven't been taking on online athletes for a fair amount of time now, but may open up to that um, in the coming new year. Um, but mainly focused on continuing to, to grow the gym here and uh, building out our our little lifting community that we have. Uh, we have a lot of really talented lifters and people that uh, make it a fun place to be. So we're, we're just trying to continue to foster that environment and make it a place where you know, everyone who's within a reasonable driving distance wants to to come and get their their heavy lifting in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and then obviously like just TSA in general, or any are you know, the other coaches taking on athletes, or is that usually is probably just going to be something that opens up in the new year? Uh, I believe Hanny might be at the moment, and we also have Angela and Alyssa, who we brought on recently, um, who initially started as intern coaches through our uh, internship program um, about a year ago and are now working to become part-time or full-time coaches themselves. And they've been doing a, a great job in that process too. So looking to help them get more exposure as well. Well, I'll make sure that I include all that in the, in the, the, the show notes, but um, again, thank you so much for coming on and thank each of the listeners for listening. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.